This is Chris Vogler. I'm the author of The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers, and also Memo from the Story Department, Secrets of Structure and Character. And you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. This is Genretainment, Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. And we are your hosts, Marks. And Julie, and what you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the song from our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy, and you can find our web series at alienjunglebug.com. Today on Genre Entertainment, we are speaking with Linda Seeger and John Winston Rainey about their new book, You Talking to Me, How to Write Great Dialogue. Now, Dr. Linda Seeger created and defined the career of script consultant in 1981. She is the most prolific author in the area of screenwriting. Two of her nine screenwriting books, Making a Good Script Great and Creating Unforgettable Characters, remain staples for writers, and many universities use them as textbooks in screenwriting classes. John Rainey has been involved in the dramatic arts since 1975 and has been a script consultant since 1989. Now let's listen to the interview. Hi, Linda and John. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Marks. Nice to be here, Marks. We're happy to have both of you here discuss your new book, You Talking to Me, How to Write Great Dialogue. You Talking to Me. Yeah, you always got to say it that way. I, I, he always just says that you talking to me. I'm like, no, it's supposed to be you talking to me. Yeah. Uh, so, you're, <laughs> so you're both very experienced script, script consultants with you, Dr. Seeger, often credited for essentially founding the concept of script consulting. And, uh, and actually your book... Making a Good Script Great was part of my film school education. Yeah. So it's, it's a real treat to talk to you in person. Um, Good. Thank you. Well, before we, we get into the new book, can you tell us a little bit of how the two of you met and decided to work on this book? Well, I had long been wanting to write a book on dialogue, but I knew I had to do it with a screenwriter. So I had heard of John for some years, but we met... Oh, was it? 2012. Okay, so we met 2012 because John was the screenwriter and I was a script consultant on a project with a producer from South America. So John and the producer came here for about eight days to work with, with me and me to work with them. And I must admit I was a little concerned because John being a script consultant, I thought, is he going to be open to me as a script consultant when he's the screenwriter? Mm. But we had a terrific relationship, very creative, very much of a flow and ease. So a couple of years ago, so I asked him, would you like to write the book on dialogue with me? And Thankfully, he said yes. <laughs> well, only a couple of years ago, you two seemed to have a really great rapport, like you've been working together for years and years. <laughs> well, you know, one of the reasons John and I both have a similar education, similar background. We, we both have master's degrees in drama. We have both acted, directed, written. And um, that really helps because we have a shared vocabulary, shared experience, both being script consultants and having worked on many scripts of other people. And why dialogue? Why did you both feel that this is a topic you two should Yeah, why zero in on that for this particular book? Well, I had written a book on subtext and I thought, and I've written 10 books on screenwriting. And this was one area I had not worked on before. So I said it's time to do that and to find a good co-writer to do it with. Well, she she covered just about every other topic in the world on screenwriting. So, you know, what was left? (laughs) (laughs) I know she has quite a few books. (laughs) And dialogue is something that doesn't get covered very often. No, which, yeah, which is odd because, I mean, you know, when you're talking particularly about scripts, I mean, that's most of the script is the dialogue. (laughs) <laughs> and actually, actually, I had read uh, seven different books on dialogue, including McKee's book, and none of them were really, um, how should I say, some, not something that, that I found that a, a writer, a working writer could take with them into their study, their workshop, and, and uh, actually utilize. My feeling is that Linda, for whatever reason, she chose me 
I had written a book before called, uh, what's it called? Uh, screenwriting, screenwriting style, style that sizzles. Sizzle. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in that book, I used a lot of examples how not to do it, and then I revised them to show how it could be done to be read much more easily. And I think that appealed to Linda a little bit because I think wonderful attributes of this book, if I may say, is that at the end of each chapter, we offer a scene that applies to or that that subject matter should be applied to that is if I may say, somewhat poorly written. Linda chose most of them. And then I just rewrite them. And Linda take, Linda gives notes on the poorly written one. Mm-hmm. I absorb those notes and I rewrite it and give notes on why I wrote it that way. Uh-huh. So I think that is a very practicum aspect of the book that no other book has. Yeah, and it's a very fun thing to read these case studies that um, I naturally got permission from my clients and said, as long as you don't use my name. And John is such a good writer, uh, but one of my favorites is it's a medieval scene that's in the chapter on writing mission statements. And John decided to turn it into kind of a Monty Python (laughs) kind of... (laughs) kind of rewritten scene and I cannot read that scene without laughing out loud yeah (laughs) it is it is absolutely hilarious what he's done with it but we have we have uh, a chapter on animals critters and aliens oh I like that one better oh yeah and John had um one of my clients had done something with Adam and Eve and the snake and so John did the rewrite with with you know, we might wonder what does a snake sound like, but John figured it out. <laughs> I just I have a lot of snakes in my life, and I listen closely. <laughs> hey, you're talking to someone who my nickname when I was very young, I actually was called the Snake Lady. I, uh, I well, it was a good thing. We had um, it was when I was in school, and our school we had animals and animal husbandry, and we had a western garter snake and. He was my buddy. He was my best friend there at school. He was so sweet. And I'd hand feed him little fish and I'd oh. and I'd hold him and I'd give him little kisses. We'd kiss and yeah, that 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 weird Julie, that is somewhat weird. Yeah. <laughs> I love animals and he was a sweet, sweet snake. <laughs> One of the things in that animals and critters uh, and alien um, particular chapter is we talk about listening to animals on how they communicate, because we talk about dialogue in terms of both communication and expression. So you have something you're trying to get across, but then you want to write it in a way that is very particular for that particular character. And so part of my research was I figured out that my cat purred on the A below middle C. Oh, that's (laughs) good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly how we use that, but that would be part of the research. And then I thought about... The way my horse, I used to have horses, and the way that my horse would communicate with me is we wanted to get people to think about when you say, Fido, go get the newspaper, and Fido goes, arf, 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 that's dialogue. He's responding, and so often you don't see that communication with with a cute little dog in the movie, uh, as, as, so opposed much, a, as, a, as opposed to a dog that will bare its teeth and go. Yeah, <laughs> well, and so much animal communication is nonverbal as well. You know, yes. I mean, you know, we've had rabbits. We have a rabbit now, and we've had rabbits, and rabbits in particular, they make sound noises and vocalizations, but they're prey animals. The large percentage of their communication is nonverbal. Now. I, I always say that doesn't mean they're silent. They're talking and communicating constantly. Yes. Um, but do, do, do rabbits have vocal cords? They, they make, they could even scream. I've ne- thank God never oh, heard one. Really? really? Um, oh, but yeah, they, because, rats, they, because rats do. Yeah. Yeah. They real- make noise. They can, I've had, um, most of the time they do a tooth purr. So there's a tooth grinding, which means they're in pain, but there's a little soft tooth purr that's like a yay, that feels like a purr, like yay. 
um, that they can kind of and, make a squeaky sound and, and they grunt. Um, we had the rabbit we have now, uh, you mentioned Monty Python. It's hilarious because I joked when we got her, I said, Oh my God, I need the holy hand grenade of Antioch because she's, she's white. She's albino. And she was five when we got her, never been spayed, which can make a female very uh, territorial and aggressive, but she'd also mm. been abused. And so she was quite aggressive. I have scars. Like she, she, I swear wow. to, I swore this rabbit thrived on human blood when I first got her. <laughs> and, um, she would attack so much. Now I call her my sweet, fluffy little cotton ball of love. Um, <laughs> but there, it's so much body language. And yeah. I'd never experienced a lot of the aggressive body language until <laughs> the last year and a half. But, but they do make quite a few sounds. They can grunt and growl and snort and yeah. We had this uh, one rabbit, Suki, who was Suki. who was so energetic and nice and everything, and She's and, sweet uh, and great with the cats and stuff. And then uh, we get we decide we get a second cat or second rabbit. I mean, we got this small puffy white rabbit that we we're going to call Tribble, and we got her She's out. She's gray actually, uh, or gray. I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. then uh, the Suki just start grunting and charging at her. And we're like, and oh my gosh. Snorting. What uh, happened to a rabbit? <laughs> and we tried doing all this stuff, like taking to neutral territory and introducing them and all this stuff. And finally we were like, we, this isn't going to work. You know, bless her heart. She has a sweet, sweet little bunny. But this is, Suki was so miserable and angry. We just couldn't do that to her. Well, yeah, you talk, you talk about being territorial. Cats are known yes. for being territorial. Yeah, yeah we've got yeah, cats. Because one of the things that we talk about is vocalizations almost of any kind. Mm-hmm. It can be part of dialogue, and we encourage the writer to open up and expand that idea. We, we use an example from um, that Leo Tolstoy, uh, um, The Last Station, about Leo Tolstoy, where he, the main character, crows like a rooster, and uh, <laughs> Sophia, the wife, clucks like a hen, and that's kind of their little love sounds as they come together. Well, there's so, also the my briar patch example, where there's a yes. the briar patch uh, moans and mm-hmm. groan, whatever it does, you know. Yeah, and yeah. I think anyone who's ever shared a home with a, a teenager, adolescent boy knows that they speak volumes with their grunts and. Ooh. Uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> no, but actually, actually, most men do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying what, to be nice and say younger because I'm sitting here with my husband. But yes. <laughs> so, so when you do a second edition, you need to do dialogue for animals, aliens, and critter, aliens, critters, and teenagers, and, and men. <laughs> you know, well, uh, we actually do have some examples of teenagers. Yeah. We have several scenes and pieces of dialogue with teenagers, yeah. and of course. So often we see scripts where the children do not sound like children oh, or oh somebody gosh, yeah. from yeah. another country doesn't sound, they sound too eloquent if yeah. you're learning a language. So we have a chapter on accents and dialects mm-hmm. and encourage writers to expand the idea of who, who are your characters. Yeah. So somebody, for instance, from another country might use sentences in present tense. I go to the store yesterday. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's how we learn another language. So I'm assuming, you know, yeah. I actually went to a, a men's weekend one time where we had to spend the entire weekend communicating only with grunts, pokes, and prod. <laughs> <laughs> so it was comfortable for the men. <laughs> Getting back to our our primitive nature. Um, but that's but yeah. one of the things we tried to do with the book was really deal with some areas that people don't ordinarily deal with. Yeah. And we were fortunate in the um, uh, the chapter on accents and dialects. John had a friend who knew about this. And then I actually communicated with a acting coach who teaches people how to do the accent of that particular country or, you know, where that person is from. And John knows a lot about accents because he has lived in a whole lot of places. And and I told John, he had to put the story in the book, but tell, tell us John about where oh, you're. I, I can't. Well, I was, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, we moved around uh, the Tennessee area to Alabama, to Georgia, to Indiana, back to Memphis, Arkansas, 
a little bit of Texas, and then to Michigan. And every time I had to change how I mm -hmm. spoke. Mm -hmm. And I was an incredible hodgepodge of, <laughs> of accents. So finally, when I fell into theater and acting, uh, the, you know, I had to go through. I, I was actually a charter member of the Bachelor of Fine Arts program at Wayne State University. And uh, never acted before, and so they beat me up in there regarding my <laughs> accent or my hodgepodge. And uh, then I graduated from Long Beach State with other coaches there. And then I wound up at Cornell for my MFA program, and uh, they beat me up even more <laughs> because uh, they, they made a tape of me saying, okay, this is how you sound now, and uh, we're going to make a tape for you at the end of the semester, and we're going to compare Boy, it was night and day. Mm -hmm. it was, they, they, they beat all of the uh, little regionalisms out of me completely. Well, I've noticed that's one thing, but I don't... It's actually one thing that kind of annoys me about American television is that when you watch most TV shows, no matter where it takes place, occasionally they'll set a show in like Texas or Louisiana and they'll do accents, but everybody, no matter where they live, in the U.S. on the TV show sounds like they're from Southern California. Yeah. Like well, nobody, that's, that's, and if you watch British television, there are so many different accents. You'll have five actors in a scene and they all have a different accent and they're allowed to do that. But in America, everybody has to sound like they're from Southern California. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, listen to Reese Weatherspoon, I think is from, or I think she's from Texas, isn't she? She's from the uh, South. I don't remember where. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, or Tennessee. Um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is from Texas, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. he's got an MFA in acting, but uh, he still sounds like he's from yeah. Texas. <laughs> and but I don't understand why it's supposed Same to with be. Every you have to be Matthew. the only way to be correct is to be Californian, you know, or New York. Well, I think well, just... actually, actually, that's not totally true. Um, Kenyon and Not wrote a book called the. Uh, pronunciation guide for the IPA, and mm -hmm. they considered Iowa to be the standard American accent. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, and, and I currently live in Iowa right now. Um, and, but I mean, that's just, a, that's just an opinion. You know why? Because they were both from Iowa. <laughs> if someone like, I'm from Wisconsin, and I just always thought everybody else had accents but us. But John yeah. has set me straight on that one, too. <laughs> Actually, John, where in Indiana did you live? Vincennes, Indiana, which is Vincennes. right on the... I actually lived in um, Vincennes at a, a very early age, at um, eight and nine. Yeah, the Hoosier accent is quite prominent. And um, so I was mixing my southern accent. Arkansas, Tennessee accent with a Hoosier accent by the time I moved back to, to uh, <laughs> Tennessee. And, uh, I, and oh, the, the interesting story uh, that Linda loves for me to tell is that when we moved up to Michigan and I, I had this real, real strong Southern accent mm -hmm. and, and uh, I had uh, the rhotic R, you know, was really hard, R cans and R. Mm hmm they wanted a lot of the nuns wanted me to play Jesus in the Christmas pageant. And so we were rehearsing and the principal, Sister Cecilia Marie, I'll never forget her, <laughs> came in name. and said, Oh, we cannot have that boy play Jesus. Jesus didn't have a southern accent. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> I brought I pointed out to um to they know John he wasn't American. Jesus right? was a baby. <laughs> At Christmas, yeah. And probably the nuns got a little confused between Christmas and New and Easter. And, I think so. And he should have said, "I can cry really well." I'm, I'm pretty sure your <laughs> baby cry wouldn't have so, too much of an accent. Yeah. And, and actually, that, that's one of the things we did with our um, dialogue book is that I, John, and I have some personal stories in there. Um, I have tended through my last few books to add personal stories to illustrate a point. Yeah. And um, John would sometimes pull back from that. I said, no, I think they oh, make, no, I think great. they make a book very interesting for yeah. a writer to explore yeah, John's she, story. You yeah. Know? She forced me to, to 
keep that story in about I'm my really moving glad. around. I because I otherwise I wouldn't have done it. But that was Linda's fault. That story is in there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah and that's John, where we're from. Yeah, from not far yeah, from there. John for John forced me to keep a story in about being on a flight from Atlanta to L.A. And the woman next to me was going to meet an actor she had just met. She had this amazing Southern accent and the way she said things. She was Savannah. Savannah. Yeah. She would Beautiful. say, oh, girl, you know, get out of here. And she'd tell me <laughs> things. But it was also very funny because I said, well, how long are you spending in L.A. to see this actor? And she said, one night. <laughs> well, I, well, I, I there was a lot I of I wanted you to keep that story in because of that one line about the lubrication. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which John added. So, in which he wouldn't let me take out. So, we we had uh, working with somebody. She, yeah, she would take it out and I would keep putting it back in. He's got back in there somehow. writing because there's a lot of discussions about um things and we divided up the chapters for who was going to do the first draft of each chapter and then the other person would rewrite and then it would go back and forth mm -hmm. and then john came twice to colorado where i live for i think i think six days each time and we would just sit in the sitting room for six hours and because john and i both play piano we would break up the time with a few piano duets here and there. Oh, but um, we, you know, we just sat there going through these over and over and over again. Uh, so it was, it was, a, it was a good process. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah. I do like the personal stories in it. And oh, I... that you remember them well. Those are the things you, that stick in your head more that they're very entertaining too. You yeah. Know? As you said earlier, the case studies and in John's rewrites, I think oh, yeah. were very helpful as a writer to see it applied that way. So, well, actually another one of those case studies that I, that I'm very, very proud of is, um, the one about the butterflies that oh, yeah. mm. was supposed to be a musical. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, I added some stuff that I really liked a lot. <laughs> and I did that very quickly, too, didn't I, Linda? I did yeah. about an hour. Uh, it was a case study about butterflies, how they're supposed to migrate, but some of them just wanted to hunker down and build little houses up in Canada. <laughs> and and there was another group that wanted to move away. And so we really were able to work a lot with rhythms as well, the rat-a-tat-tat and um, oh, that's the, the repetition. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's another thing that's so important in dialogue is the rhythm. We talk about how certain people will talk, you know, kind of, well, I don't know. And then there's mean, others that just run on and on and on in there, you know, like a network is I'm not going to take this anymore and goes on and on and on. And for the writer to capture those rhythms and yeah. see how you can expand the kind of characters by simply making sure they have different rhythms, different word choices, yeah. different vocabulary. Yeah. yeah and, and different personalities and ages and where they're from should sound the same. Like, like you mentioned earlier, not just animals, but also like teenagers. Can't tell you how many times we watch a show and we're like, I know they're supposed to be teenagers, but they talk like 30 something year old, the, the subject matter and the way they're talking, they're supposed to be 16, but they sound like, 30-something-year-old sitting around drinks in hand talking about their sex well, life. This is not how a 15, 16, 17-year-old talks. Or yeah, Julie, it's um, primarily, this is the limitation of the writer. You know, and Linda and I deal with this a great deal in our critiques. When all of the, you should be able to, to take out the character cues and know which no. character is speaking. Yes. And uh, it, each character should have their own semantic universe exactly. within their own regional aspect. Mm -hmm. Watch a TV show and count in an episode how many times the characters will end a declarative sentence with an all right or an okay. Mm-hmm. And what it does is it weakens the line, whether that is on the page or not. Mm. Uh, you should only give that to one one character because right. uh, in dramatic dialogue, what that does is it weakens uh, all the all the statements. Yeah. You look at uh, you look at um, bless his heart, Aaron Sorkin, 
if you watch West Wing, and you will see how many different characters will use the phrase, I'm sorry, for what? You know, somebody will say something, that, and the character will go, I'm sorry? And mm. I, it's okay if one character does it, right. but when five or six or seven do it, then it becomes a writer problem. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And some of it, yeah, and some of it is these others, these filler words like, well, and, uh, and. I mean, uh, you know, look, it's know. just that. Yeah, all of that stuff. It's just, it's, it's again, it's okay if you have a, a, a character like uh, Charlie Kaufman in Adaptation, who is very self-conscious do that. But when all of the characters do it, and often it is uh, actors feeling insecure in the moment. And so they want to fill in the space mm. instead of being dynamic emotionally in the space, being connected to the moment. You can have actors saying nothing, but being so connected to the moment, you cannot take your eyes off right. of them. Right, yeah. yeah. And so so this becomes an actor problem as well as a writer problem. So and, then, and, and also, I'm sorry, also a director problem, because I'm watching, I'm having to study Stranger Things now for something we won't get into. All of these actors, except for one or two, are overacting. They're attitudinalizing, what we call it, or indicating indicating an emotion and that becomes a director problem primarily because a lot of these young actors are still young in that field this is why one of the things john i recommend is that writers read their dialogue out loud uh, in fact read the whole script out loud and then go back and say i'm going to just work with mary's dialogue today so all of mary's dialogue i'm going to look at it does it have similar rhythms um, or vocabulary that people's different jobs and different places they're from have a whole nother group of phrases or words so when i moved to colorado i learned cowboys say you see what i'm saying now it's a physical <laughs> possibility to see what you're saying. And in Colorado, they don't say cool. They say cool. Mm -hmm. It's it's almost like it spells C-E-W-L. And that was a big word we noticed when we moved here. So you begin to study and research different cultures or different careers and say, what are those words the person uses? And then if the word is too unusual, how does the writer help the audience understand what the word means? <laughs> mm -hmm. So one of our examples is a military scene where they were using all the words military people use, and we couldn't understand a word of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, because what happens is you get too much into the expression and not the communication, and then you start... And some people do the opposite. So when we worked on that scene, which is one of the case studies, is John figured out how do I make it clear what is what is going on and who are the enemy soldiers walking across the ridge? Who are those tangos? And, you know, <laughs> they call for air support, but they use all those code words. But on the other hand, is the writer needs to know the vocabulary of that particular field. So you and sometimes what you have to do is write in the script. I'm I'm going to do a visual of what it is. So yeah. um, John and I being in music, if we say I'm going to play a glissando, is that's when somebody plays. They they take their hands or their thumb all through all the piano keys. And and you, so then you say, so you oh, now that. I know what that means. Yeah, you just show it. You show it in action. You know, mm -hmm. they can use the word, then you show it in action what it really means. Yeah, yeah. But you can also use a little phrase. You add a phrase that becomes the explanation. Mm -hmm. You know, and you try to put it in so it doesn't look like you're just reading a treatise on this particular word or Get phrase. Get a little exposition in for the audience to know what the heck is happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a big thing, like sci-fi, fantasy has to deal with a lot. Yeah. Unique terminology. It's yeah, we watch a lot world. and read a lot and watch a lot of that. So it's, Like, I don't know if you guys saw The Expanse or not, which is really good, hard sci-fi. Yeah. But they got people who live on... Um, asteroids and stuff and they have this weird slain speak 
that yeah. they've developed. And you get into it, you catch on after a while. If it's done well, you catch on. If it's not done yeah. well, you're into it. So it's going, I can't understand what <laughs> they're like, saying. What saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's been done well, that it's a made up kind of way of talking and you're catching on to it. You know, <laughs> I should have mentioned before, and just so people know who are listening, this book isn't just for script writing, right? It covers all types of mediums. Yeah. But, you know, you mentioned well, about reading your your script out loud. I would, I can't believe how many times I've heard someone and now I've, I've written the script, but they've never read any of the dialogue out loud. And then even people <laughs> writing a, you know, a novel, it's like, well, I know the yeah. way you write and the way you speak are very different, but the dialogue needs to sound a little bit like the way people talk in real life. If it's taking place in modern day, say Western Kentucky, you probably ought to know how people in modern day Western Kentucky speak and, and yep. you don't want them to sound like they're from Brooklyn, you know, <laughs> yep. for instance. Well, not, not only that, not only read the dialogue out loud, character by character, as Linda suggests, yeah. but uh, I strongly suggest that all writers take acting classes. Uh, that is a really not, good not idea, only, yes. It's, it's not just for the dialogue, but to understand the process that the actor goes through in getting to the moment of the dialogue, yes. because it's it's got to be internal. Otherwise, it like I said about Stranger Things, it does not work. Mm -hmm. I personally, I know Stranger Things is a very very popular thing, but I personally, I think because I have too much background in acting, directing, and writing, I get distracted very easily. My wife used to hate going to the theater with me because I used to squirm in my seat all the time. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very, very tough for me. Um, give me, give me a sappy uh, rom com any day because I know what to expect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we we suggest that people keep file folders because you don't always know when you're going to hear interesting dialogue oh, and you don't know when you might be writing a, a book because this is our our book is a, for novelists and short stories writers and other kind of writers and when you might need to pull that i had a um one of my writing clients who gave me permission is that she had a line in a script that says in the south we don't call it hot we call it sultry <laughs> and I asked her, I said, where did you get that line? She said, I actually heard a line similar to that. And she said, I have all these file folders. So when I was writing a Southern script, I looked through those and I had a line similar to that and I massaged it a bit. And another one of my clients who's an Emmy Award winning sitcom writer, Treva Silverman, who is one of the people who endorsed our book, but she has a tape recorder with her at all times. And I learned when working with her, when she started getting going on dialogue, I was not to interrupt her. And oh. she would pick up the tape recorder in the middle of a session. And she says, well, I want to say something like this. And she'd record this. And I learned very, very quickly, <laughs> say very quiet. Yeah. She's catching the rhythm. And she says, I then listen to it and massage it. So, you know, tape recorder with you at all times. And sometimes you can interview somebody. So let's say you're in an airport, not that you'll be at the moment, and you hear a scientist talking with very specific vocabulary, and he's just sitting there, and you can always say, I'm a writer, and I'm wondering if I could ask you a few questions, because the vocabulary you use is what I'm thinking of writing about someone similar and I'm I, I'm hoping Brad Pitt will play your part to feel really good about but you you don't even have to ask them questions related to the story you just need to ask them questions to start hearing that flavor and also some of that vocabulary Linda you know as an aside you know that Brad Pitt played uh, Dr. Fauci, Fauci on SNL oh <laughs> yeah, and he was yeah. brilliant <laughs> it was great. That, oh, yes, yes I think I did know that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I love the line, um, you know, when Trump was talking about someday it'll just disappear. He goes, but that shouldn't be your plan A. Even Sully tried to land at the airport first. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's good. one of the best lines I've heard in a while. Even Sully tried to land at the airport first. <laughs> well, and you realize with those actors how they listen so closely to the person they're going to impersonate yeah. and get the rhythms. And we can all do the vocabulary of any number of people we've heard on television. Yeah, <laughs> Tina Fey doing Sarah Palin was oh, a classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it got to be hard yes. to tell them apart. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, for yes. me, <laughs> that shows that shows their creativity and their brilliance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Anyway, the, the the key to dialogue is really listen to your characters that you have created and do right by your characters. And I think a lot of writers, well, now this is just me talking. My characters write my stories for me. It's very it, that's impossible to teach, but I tell my writers. You must develop your characters, then listen to them, pay attention to them, because they will tell you what they want to do and say and become. Uh, Once you breathe life into them, let them live it. Yeah, I, this is not something we can put in a book necessarily. I don't know if we said this in our book, but this yeah. is it's something that you've got to trust. You've got to trust the thing. Most writers feel like frauds. I certainly do. Because you've got to give yourself over to your characters. So anyway, that's, that's very true. Yeah. I agree. I've noticed more and more uh, book writers that I know are also using dictation to write their books, which I think is interesting how that affects. Well, what happens? Yeah. What happens with that, uh, Marx, is that, um, that all the characters are sounding alike. Yeah, that's true. See, to me, my I always because I didn't grow up with any computers or anything. So yeah, for me, <laughs> just because you're from Indiana doesn't mean you're Amish. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I never had a computer until I got married. So for me, writing was always with, you know, pen or pencil and paper. When right. I got to, to college, when I got to university and I was doing journalism. You have to go quick so you don't have time to write it out by hand and then transpose it onto typing it. I had to learn how to think and type at the same time. Mm. And I've gotten to where I could do my journalism writing much more easily that way. But I still, whenever I'm trying to really tap into creativity and, and really get some uh, story started, or I'm trying to develop a character, I cannot do it any other way except pen and, and paper. You know, uh -huh. so I, I'm sure some people, you know, the tape recorder helps, but for me, I have to have that pen in hand on paper or else for some reason I can't think that creatively. Yeah, know? but it, it, it sounds like you are tuning into your characters um, because, uh, I mean, if, if things are flowing, then you start channeling your characters. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'll tell you again, I think the most valuable class I ever took in my entire life was a semester, just one semester as a senior in high school of personal typing. Yeah, uh, I had to learn to type in high school. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, touch typing, so I can type anything anywhere without ever looking at the keyboard. Yes. And um, I can even thing. close my eyes. In this John, time. your co-author won the typing award in high school. Ah, congratulations. I, I, I was the worst in, in high school. And then when I got to be an administrative assistant, everyone joked that they saw smoke coming off my keyboard because I could go <laughs> so fast. And I, I mean, I, it sounded like I was hitting multiple keys at the same time. That's just reading something and just repeating it on the keys you know that wasn't the creative process oh, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah 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 that's not well that's presumably not. each time we change technology your mind really does have to go through some kind of a different creative process yeah. because you think about from handwriting to typewriter and you can get distracted and i have heard literary agents have said to me Something went wrong with the writing when they went over the computer. <laughs> this, is, this, is no. why I, this is why I curse software companies who continue changing their protocol and their yeah. formatting. Yeah. Uh, because Amen. then I have to learn a whole new thing, you know. And it's I, like I'm I'll already, get, my brain's full, so busy trying to do this other thing. This needs to be automatic. 
<laughs> well, it's the same thing on uh, when you type and they they correct your spelling, for instance, and oh. or they or oh. they say that's not a full sentence, and I remove all those. I said I know how to spell this. I am deliberately either misspelling this or this person's name actually is spelled that way. Right. And I, same thing with sentences. I, I my because I write books and not screenplays. There's many times I do not want a total, right. a, a full sentence. I want to say he went there, period, here, period, and everywhere, period. It's I a stylized choice. Sentence. Yeah. Yes. And I think when you've written quite a while, you hope you've learned something about writing, and you begin to feel that freedom of how you use words and phrases and rhythms. Yes. Yeah. Amen. That's why I had to, I had to turn off Grammarly. It didn't work for me. No. Well, and it it also will correct correct it to the wrong freaking word. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not what I'm yeah. trying to say. You know, otherwise we wouldn't have all those funny things memes on the internet with the bad autocorrect. You know? <laughs> yeah, true, true. All right, so I hope everybody does check out this book if they want to learn more about dialogue. Um, I was wondering what you guys have planned. In the future, if you guys are going to write anything else together or not, or you have other projects separately in the works, or what do well, you want to I, say about it? I think we both have um, projects. I I want to explore spirituality and creativity. I, I have a doctorate in theology, and then I have a master's in drama, and I've, of course I've worked in the film industry since 1979, actually. And I've worked a lot with creativity. I've studied it in graduate school as well as for the last 40 years. So I want to look at that intersection and um, that will be a book. But the other thing I have that I just started, I have, I'm doing what's called Sager notes, you know, like clip notes. Mm -hmm. and oh, I, I like take, that. Yeah, I did take a different movie, a classic every month. And these come out where you can buy them online and they tend to be between four and 5,000 words. They're generally 5,000 words. And um, they are actually published by the daughter of John Houston, the director. Oh. Allegra Houston is, mm. in a, is, is twice five publishers. Allegra. Not, not Angelica? Yeah, mm. uh, no, Allegra. It's ah. a sister of Angelica. Okay. Right. And she's a great editor. And James Navi is another person with that company who I had known. So I'm doing those. I just finished Jojo Rabbit, which will come out August 1st. And each time I look at the script in terms of what can be learned from this movie that can help the writer, because you will probably hit this challenge someplace in your writing. And if you understand how it works in this movie, you'll be able to make it work in your own script. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Please uh, share with me the link to that and I'll put yes, it in the show please. notes. Oh. oh, how about you, John? I just take things as they come. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I, uh, right now I'm working on something that uh, I don't know how much I can talk about it, but it's, a, you know, it's an expert witness thing. Uh, that has been filed, so I probably shouldn't talk about it at all. Yeah, correct, because I, I got John that job. And yeah, she keeps, she keeps sending, she keeps sending me careful. stuff. And uh, it, what did you say? I, go, what? I, I said you have to be so careful about what you say about these cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can't, we can't uh, communicate uh, via email anymore or anything like that because it's all, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Discoverable. Yeah. So exactly. John's next project is he could tell us, but then he'd have to kill us all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, well, you know, it's um, Linda's retiring, and she's sending me all of her stuff now. Yes. <laughs> so, that's good. And, uh, that's good. Well, yeah. I'm, so I'm making a little money, but really, I keep telling Linda, I just want to do the big item, the big item projects. I just, you know, want to write a screenplay for a million dollars a piece. And, <laughs> And uh, yeah, and I'll that be would good be to preferable. <laughs> Actually, quite honestly, when I do a critique and I overdo, and Linda keeps chastising me for that, <laughs> I, I I can't help myself. But by the time I get finished with one of those, I might as well have just written the screenplay myself. Mm -hmm. Because uh, yeah, the last one I did was close your ears, Linda. Was, yes, was fourteen thousand words. You know, she just needed it. She she needed 
that much feedback. And so, yeah, she's very appreciative. But I could have written an entire screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) And I do try to encourage people to hire John to just rewrite it. (laughs) (laughs) It A lot more experienced. It would actually be easier. (laughs) I've done some editing and I have a terrible, like I have to stop myself because I'll basically just start rewriting it. Oh and no! I, I when I when I edit, Julie, I do the same thing. And I'm yeah, like, I can't I'll rewrite tell you, this. As an author, as an author, you have to be real careful. John and I had an editor early, early in this oh, process. Yeah, he wrote us and didn't mark what she was doing, and then I said, "Rena, I said something is wrong here. It you doesn't don't know what, but yeah." We had to actually, they got a new editor, and we had to actually start all over again and go back to the original to see what she had done. Mm. And yeah. she had dropped all the charm and all uh-huh. the fun of our writing and yeah. well, the, only, you know, not- phrases we poured over, and she would make them so derivative and on the nose and so, well, and so that, bland. There was, a, there was a, an example I used in it, um, and uh, you guys will appreciate this. It was about um, the movie Fair Game. And I was, I think I was talking about, um, I can't remember, escalation of a, of a, of a piece yes, of dialogue. Yes, Valerie Plume, yeah. Yeah, and Joe Wilson had, uh, this, had this thing about, uh, one of my favorite lines of all time in the movie, uh, or in, in any movie, is, um, if I shout louder than you, does that make me right? <laughs> it does now, and, and, apparently. And that, that's at the end of, of Joe Wilson's. They're having this huge argument in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And Valerie doesn't want him to pursue this thing with Congress yeah. and, uh, and or the White House. And uh, uh, Dick Cheney, actually. And he has this line. And so I use that as a, as a strong example of how... A, a dialogue escalates and, and how you write it so that it shows escalation with, without using capitalization or underlining or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And she changed that whole thing <gasps> to sound, I mean, what she changed, I think, one or two words, which changed the entire meaning and intent of the scene. But it's it incredible how just a few words will do that, but it does, yes. Yeah. But it also told an untruth. She changed. The introduction, the dialogue as oh, well. Oh, that's oh, that's and right. So it was incorrect about what had happened with Dick Cheney. I mean, oh, it was, it so was she just was, factually was actually, incorrect as she well. Was actually, she was actually advocating for Dick Cheney instead oh. of showing. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, just just stop right there. You know, you're on the wrong. Well, track. that's that's oh, no, that's. <laughs> That's when we fired her. Yeah. <laughs> well, should, and there yeah. are a lot of editors that just really want to be writers. But as a writer, I say, I want to track every change. I want to know. Right. And I want to know why. And don't rewrite me unless there's something. If there's something not clear, it's fine for you to suggest an alternative way or hey. say add more or something. Yeah, but, yeah, right. you yeah, know, give, a, give probably, us a note. Yeah, just give us a note. You know, or, hey, what do you think of this sentence? Maybe if yeah. if the writer was struggling with a sentence, you can go yeah. as the editor. I have a here's just a suggestion. What do you think of this? You know, something well, that's like a, that. That's yeah. the thing, Julie. Is she did not point out this change that she made. Oh, she just was rewriting the whole darn thing, yeah. kitten caboodle. Julie, huh? uh, Julie, as a matter of fact, if you're an editor of screenplays, after this interview, give me your email address and I'll send you my book because I think you'll find it. Maybe you'll find it um, uh, useful. It's a great book. It's a wonderful book. Thank you. That sounds great. See, I actually wrote this book because I kept, I found myself saying the same things in critique after critique after critique about the writing (laughs) stuff. And so I said, screw it. I'm just going to write a book on it. I'll just sit the book. Everybody just read the damn book. (laughs) It's called Screenwriting Style That Sizzles, and they can get it on Amazon, right, John? I think so, yeah. But I'll send, I'll send Julie the, you know, the oh, book. You're yeah. sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All yeah. right. I, I mostly just send it out to my clients and stuff, you know. Okay, but, John, you're supposed to sell your books. I, I, <laughs> I I'm the same. I'm terrible about that. I give stuff away all the time. Yeah, Linda's right. I need to... Yeah, she's a great marketer. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be your agent. She will, yeah. I'm so grateful for her guidance and her mentorship, <laughs> especially in that area. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, well thank when, you. Uh, when uh, she and oh, one of your other um, people that you mentored, Dara, Dara Marks, yes, when they found out, you know, I, I was, you know, that rating that uh, Creative right. Screenwriter gave me, um, they made me number one uh, consultant. Linda wasn't a part of that. And Linda and Dara both said, how much are you charging? And uh, so I told them, they said, oh, you're going to triple that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a thing about, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you are earning a living and yeah. you really have to look at the value. And I had a great career consultant and she said what she said, just look at what it's worth, what you are contributing. I mean, you're changing people's lives. You're changing their writing. You're changing their whole success. And, um, you know, anyone who'd looked at my website before I retired on June 1st from consulting would see I had lots of different services so because I understand a lot of people don't have the money to do a full consultation, but they do have the money to get a lot of, you know, to, to get bad, some bad notes advice. that really help right. them. Yeah. So yeah, I, they, I, uh, people get a lot of bad advice from a lot of people. And so I just want to keep people on the right track. And that's assuming that I know what the right track is. But yes. <laughs> well, you, you do. You know, you, I think we all agree that you are – Definitely on a right track, if not the right track. <laughs> the rest of us just hope to be right track adjacent, hopefully, you know. <laughs> well, it's been great you, talking yeah, to you both. Yeah. Yeah, this has been fun. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah thank, thank you both. Yeah, thank you so much for talking to us. And yes, I hope everybody so much. checks out the book on Dialogue. And I hope you enjoy your retirement uh, from consulting. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, if she I'm can not stay retired, away. Linda Linda says she's retired, but she's still working. She's writing books like crazy. So, Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and wrote Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Linda and John for taking the time to speak with us and being such fun guests. You can find links to their books and websites on the show notes. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We have a number of interviews lined up for the next few months, Mm -hmm. so keep an eye out for those new episodes. And don't forget, we have over 125 episodes archived for your listening pleasure. Until Until next time. time. Bad monkey.